Good evening, lunatics, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. It is January 12th, 2024. Uh, Larry is under the weather this week. He, um, uh, he, he, he's, he's getting back to normal, you know, but he, uh, uh, he should be back with us in a week or so. So I'm going to fly solo this week. Uh, and I've got a guest, uh, made a new friend on TikTok this last week and, uh, we'll bring him in and let you guys meet him. Um, so I guess without, uh, w- without any further ado, let's just do it. Steve Vest, welcome to the Blue Ribbon Podcast. You are among lunatics and friends here. Um, so I, I, I ran across a TikTok. Steve did. You've been doing TikTok for a while, right? Yeah. But, I mean, obviously had it blowing up as much yeah. as that one video did this yeah. week. Yeah. So he yeah. had a video <laughs> blow up just talking about being a broker. He was just taking some calls. He's like, you want to see what it looks like? And the phone rings and he answers the phone and he goes from, uh, from call to call to call. And, so that kind of blew up, but I could tell that Steve's a, Steve's a serious businessman. You know, he's a freight broker and, um, uh, and we, of course we love to talk to brokers on here because we like to stir shit up because that's who we are. <laughs> so with Larry, uh, being down, I thought, well, Hey, that now's the time. So I reached out to Steve and, and, um, he was gracious enough to come on here. So Steve, introduce yourself, give us a, you know, a little five minute history, how you got here. Uh, what you're doing and, and, um, and, and, and let everybody know who you are. Well, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's pretty crazy to have a video go viral and have so many people see you that never knew who you were before, but, um, I've been doing TikTok for a long time, but I've been in the industry for 19 years. I started my company 2005. I was just me in a, a one room office, uh, building, and grew it up to, you know, a $5 million plus company. And, and we started working from home last year with COVID and everything. It just made sense to start sending everybody home. Everybody kind of wanted to work from home anyway. So we sent everybody home. But um, to go back to my history, obviously, my parents, actually, it's kind of an interesting story. My mom was a truck driver uh, in the 80s, and she met my stepdad who was a mechanic here in Kansas City. Her truck had broke down one night and not a very good part of town. She stopped by, he fixed her truck and a little bit more probably, but <laughs> um, but they got married and my stepdad raised me basically. Um, they actually opened a trucking company and had 13 trucks at one time. They ran uh, produce here in the Kansas City area, went to the penitentiary. I can remember being like 12 years old in a truck delivering to the federal pen here in Leavenworth right next to the you know the inmates and it was no big deal back then you know there was no security it was like you go in it wasn't a big deal um but anyway so they had 13 trucks um seen a lot of crazy stuff growing up that i probably shouldn't have seen uh being around trucking and everything my whole life but um my stepdad passed away of lou gehrig's disease when i was 19 years old so they had to sell the company uh for the last couple years it kind of had been declining because his health was going down and so they started getting rid of trucks and it was him and his brothers and my mom and they ended up selling all the trucks before i got out of college and where i could maybe jump into that side of the business and so that was you know way back when uh 1997 98 99 somewhere around there and um you know got married um worked for uh, emory air freight for a really long time here in Kansas City. Um, Got promoted to outside sales position in Charlotte, North Carolina. Moved our family there and worked there for a couple of years. Um, Had a chance to keep moving up the corporate ladder, kind of changed our 
direction at that point because I really didn't want to keep moving every couple of years in the corporate lifestyle. That wasn't really what I wanted, what I wanted for my kids, my family. So we took a job back closer to home in Iowa as another small broker that I knew some people there and started working for them. Unfortunately, my wife wasn't real happy there. Um, we didn't have any friends. It was a really, really small town in Iowa. And anyway, one day she said, hey, I'm moving back to Kansas City. You coming with me? And so I kind of had to make her decision real quick what to do with that. So I ended up uh, starting a company and moving back to Kansas City. And, you know, 19 years later, here we are. So uh, that's kind of how I got into the freight brokerage side of it. I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I follow Gary Vee a lot. I kind of follow his path as a child. I was raised with very little. Um, we had to buy and sell everything that we possibly could to make money. I was mowing lawns to be able to afford even one pair of shoes, you know, let alone a pair yep. of Nikes or something. But, um, you know, I just worked really hard as a kid and that carried over into my adult life. And I've been blessed to have raised two beautiful daughters who are in college now and married for 25 years this year. So um, got a good team of people to work for me. And that video made it even more crazy because now everybody wants to come work for us and that's great. So we're excited about that. So one of the, uh, one of the things I kind of took away from a lot of the questions that were coming and, and it concerns me because, and, and I, I feel like we have the same problem on the, on the truck side. And that is, I think a lot of these people are so excited for you to tell them how to become a broker because they think it's easy and they yeah. think, well, man, I, they, these brokers don't do anything. They just sit and steal everybody else's money. So show me how to be a broker. I want to sit on my ass and do nothing at home. Uh, do, do you do you agree with that assessment? Do you think that's part oh, of it? Oh, yeah, one, 100%, man. Like, I mean, you don't understand how many people I've hired over the last 19 years that thought the same thing, right? Oh, I'm going to go work in freight and I'm going to make a million dollars and it's going to be easy. Well, it's not easy because if it was, everybody would do it. Right. Um, I know there are somewhat like 70,000 brokers in the U S right now. I think I heard it last count. And I don't know if that's 70,000 broker licenses or if that's just 70,000 people selling in the brokerage uh, market. I'm not really sure. But when I started, it was only like 7,000, you know, 20 years ago. But yeah, that comment section was lit with those people talking about, hey, show me how to do this. I'm really ready to work hard. But then when it comes down to it, I say, hey, send me a message, send me your resume, whatever. I never see anything, right. you know, and, right. and it's like they're all talk, but they don't really know how hard of work it really is. And and if you can't find my email address on TikTok and you don't know how to look up on the Internet to find a, a website to contact me because my phone number is all over my website, my email is all over my website, my emails right there on TikTok. If you don't know how to hit that and send me a message, then you aren't going to be successful as a freight broker because that's game number one. You know, you got to be able to find people, connect with people, research and do a lot of hard work to get where we're at. You know, um, you, there's not very many brokers that get to the level that we're at. And there's some that are half a million or half a billion dollars. There's some that are, I mean, C.H. Robinson's what, $6 billion. I mean, um, there's some big brokers, they didn't just get there by providing horrible service and, and stealing money from carriers, you know? So what was the line you said you, uh, organized the unorganized or, or yeah, we organized the unorganized. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's what freight brokers do. I mean, we, we kind of came up with the term a long time ago. A lot of people say it, but we're the travel agents for freight. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to go to Paris, France, 
are you going to book it yourself or are you going to trust someone that knows a little bit something about the Paris, France hotel scene and where to put you at and stuff like that. So, I mean, you can do that and you'd be just fine, but you're, you know, better off if you're going to use a professional that knows what they're doing, can connect the dots and, and make sure that you're doing what you need to be doing to be successful. So. Yeah. One of the things that frustrates me a lot when, when the, the, the topic of brokers come up is, well, we don't need brokers. Hey brother, that's 100% correct. You don't, yeah. if you're operating a truck, you don't need a broker. You can go knock on doors. You can make sales calls. The people that you're leaving out there are the customer. Right. Because the customer is not going to put someone on payroll to do what they can get Steve to do. They don't have to pay for Steve's retirement. They don't have to pay his health care benefits. They don't have to give him nothing. They can call Steve and say, Steve, find me a truck. And Steve can yeah. use that expertise to go do that. And you guys that 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 just want to be caught in this adversarial truck carrier versus uh, broker relationship, you're completely leaving the people paying the bill out. You're completely disregarding their existence and their needs. Yeah, there were so many. There were so many people in the comment section that was basically saying that, um, you know, we don't need brokers or whatever. And so I just replied back to most of them and said, "Well, go get your own shippers then, and I'll show you how to do it. I'll, I'll give you the script. You can call them yourself and get the shippers directly." But one of the biggest problems is they don't know how to sell. They don't know how to run a business and they don't know how to price stuff really. I mean, they don't know how to negotiate. I mean, it was clear in that video and all the comments about the pricing and stuff. It's like, you know, you don't start with the rate that you really want to end up at. So you start down low and you work your way up. So like, you know, everybody was giving me a hard time about $2,800 from Minneapolis to Las Vegas for a box truck, which is like $1.72 a mile or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And we ended up at like 3000 or 3100 you know, and the customer's happy. The carrier was happy. We made a little bit of money. And, and the thing is, I think there's a lot of carriers based on the comment section in our little conversation before this is that I think there's a lot of people out there that have a misconception that brokers somehow make a hundred percent markup on every load. Like, you know, we're getting paid $6,500 and we're only giving 3000 to the carrier. That isn't happening, you know? And it's this assumption that the, that the customers are all stupid. You know, the customers are going to write a $6,500 check, you know, which may, which the, the, the market may have demanded in the middle of 2022, you know, mm -hmm. it might've taken $5,000 to move that freight. And now the customer's still going to pay that same $5,000, but the broker's going to pay $2,500. It's just, it's illogical. And of course, common sense and logic are dead in this country and have been. For <laughs> yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, but, to, but the customers can look at the load to truck ratio. They can look at the economic conditions. They know what's going on. So, you know, uh, and my thing for me, which is part of, you know, being why we leased to a carrier, um, I have a sales team. I have a massive sales team that basically costs me next to nothing because I'd, I'd rather have my eyeballs clawed out than make a sales call. That's not my gig. You know, I, right. I, I mean, I can I guess in a way we have a program that we're selling. And so I can tell you the benefits of it, but I'm not a salesman, you know, and the, and just the, Oh, the thought of having a cold call and it just, I, I don't, I don't want any part of that. And when I can either use for example, the Salesforce at Landstar, or if I was on my own, I could use 
you or Anik or some of the other people that we've met along the way, you guys are good at what you do. You know what the lanes are. You know what the rates should be. The problem with most of these truck drivers, they don't even know what their own cost is. They just pull yeah. this magical number out of the sky. Well, by God, I'm not going to move it for $4. Okay, cupcake. Um, well, mm -hmm. I wish you the best of luck. Um, right. Because I could come along there and pull it for $2 and make money, you know, yeah. and, and somehow you've made my good business decisions, um, you know, your problem. And no, right. your, your, uh, you have done a good job screwing yourself. Uh, you didn't need my help. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the carriers that want to blame the brokers for their problems are their own problems, like you were saying, you know, like they don't want to get up and do the hard work it is to go get a direct shipper. But I mean, really, that's what they should be doing. Obviously, that's how you're going to be the most successful as a carrier is getting your own direct shippers. But, um, you know, as far as a broker and what we're trying to do is we're, you know, I actually had, I was going to bring that up as I had a customer call me up this week and said, hey, I've got this shipment. I need to move from here to here. And I've got a budget of $2,000. Well, I looked at the lane and the rate's supposed to be $1,250. So I'm not the kind of broker that's going to keep the $850 or $750 profit. Because what happens, like you were talking about, if, it, if we were making $6,500 and we were only paying the carrier $3,500 and we're making $3,000, that customer is going to wise up to that eventually. Yep. And you're not going to be their, their broker anymore because another broker is going to come in and he's going to say, that rate was whack. You should have only made, you should have only charged you 3,500. He probably made $3,000. Here, come be, be with me. And then you're losing that customer. So I've been in this game for 19 years for a reason. It's because I'm honest. I tell people what the rate should be, both sides, driver and, you know, now are there cases where a carrier would come in and say, you know, I can do it for $200 less. And um, I'm like, yeah, I'll make that extra 200 bucks because I got to feed my family too, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's, any business you run, right? It doesn't matter if you're on the carrier side, the broker side or the shipper side, you're in it to make money. And, and if you're a carrier and you're not in it to make money, you're in it for the wrong reasons because your job's not easy. It's, it's hard to drive a truck. I mean, I've done it. I mean, I've done the box truck life. I've owned a box truck company for a couple of years, did very well. Then COVID happened and my truck driver totaled the truck and I just was too stressed out trying to run a brokerage company and a carrier. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I'm maybe I'll try that again at some other time. But, um, and having seen my parents, you know, do it, they, you know, having 13 trucks and having 13 drivers that you're responsible for. I mean, the one thing about me when I was running the trucking company and have a driver that was out, I couldn't sleep. I don't know how some of these guys had to do it with like 13 drivers driving in the middle of the night when it's snowing and ice and worrying about whether or not they're going to get to their destination. Cause I'm a, I'm a human person, you know, like I care about my driver and like that really, I had a lot of sleepless nights for the two years I had a truck. So I don't know how you guys do it. Kudos to you guys that own trucks and have drivers. Cause like I was, whew, I was stressed out just worrying about that. And one o'clock in the morning, I would make him text me like, okay, did you get there where you're supposed to go? You know? Yeah. I, then I could go to sleep, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just don't know how you guys do it sometimes. It was when I, when I first came to Landstar in 2014, um, I didn't really, I didn't really know what I was doing as a, as a truck operator. I had been at Anderson trucking service where I had leased a truck from them. And then I bought my own truck and I had a really good relationship with a fleet manager. Guy made me a lot of money. And I remember that I would just 
send him an email in the morning. So when he came in to his, to his desk, I didn't send it through the Qualcomm. I sent him an email. I said, Hey man, all good. And on time, you know, didn't think anything about it. Well, I come to Landstar and everything was so decentralized. There's no more centralized Qualcomm. Each agent's different and everything's going through email. So when I would get to the shipper, I would send him an email. I arrived at the shipper. And when I left the shipper, I've left the shipper. Right. And so I sent like five emails and I, and not long in a couple of weeks in this agent said, Hey, I just want to, I just want to take a minute. I'm going to tell you how much we appreciate your communication. I'm thinking, Oh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. She's like, no, you got to understand it. It was amazing. I'm like, I sent you five emails. And she was like, Oh, I know. You know how much we get from other BC, most BCOs? Zero. Zero. They won't tell <laughs> us when they got there. They won't tell us when they leave. They won't tell us when they're broke down. They won't tell us when they're late. And I'm going, because I'm coming in. I had put Landstar on this pedestal. You know, like that's where the serious owner operators went. And I thought, boy, if I'm going to be at Landstar, I got to be a serious. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Larry, Larry has a great line. He says, uh, at Landstar especially, but in trucking in general, there's a lot of capacity, but there's very little competition. Um, yes. And so when we bring people in our program, the first thing we beat into their heads, plan, communicate, execute, make a plan, stick to the plan. This, uh, this is the, the, the BSE 9,000 that we, we talk about a lot. This is the bullshit eliminator 9,000. Get the calculator out and make a plan. And then execute that plan and communicate that plan. And it will set you apart from 95% of your competition in this business if you'll just do those three things. And and it's a struggle for some. Some take right to it, you know, and don't have any problems with it. But the idea of, 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 of thinking ahead and communicating to your customer, which in our case is the agent, you know, the agent is our customer. They're our gateway to the customer. And it's just funny how we'll be criticized for putting the agent broker customer in that elevated position because um, they all have it upside down. They think they're the customer. They think they're the most important. They think everything that has to happen has to happen for their benefit. And I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. boy, y'all going to have a long, 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 very painful road uh, with that attitude because it's just going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. You can make everybody around you miserable for nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're all in the game to get, I mean, it is a game. I mean, we're all in the game together. Everybody's trying to make a little bit of money just to survive. And, and really at the end of the day, I mean, you have to like what you're doing and I love what I do. So me taking those calls in that video and, and are you, are you working with Landstar now? Is that why the video kind of resonated a little bit? Cause I said I wouldn't use them or. No, no, it was, I mean, I, I caught that. Um, I, I'm kind of immune to it by now. No, we're, we are, we have all of our trucks leased to Landstar. Um, you do. Okay. Now, and a big, a big part of that, a big part of the reason there is we are to our target audience. Our target market is the first time owner operator buying their first truck. And so we are very, very passionate about the belief that if you have never had any business experience and you want to become an owner operator, number one, don't lease a truck. Number two, sure as hell don't get your own numbers. That's, that's a recipe for failure. 
go to somewhere like Landstar where you have a lot of protection. You have a lot of risk protection. You have a lot of liability protection. You have a ton of support to support a new business. Um, now, once you've learned how to run your business well, sure, you want to go get your own numbers? Go ahead and get your own numbers. Um, but Landstar is a perfect stepping stone if that's the direction you want to go because there's so much protection um, here that can that – can because, I mean, we see people do – really, really dumb things that if they had their own numbers, they'd be bankrupt immediately, you know, completely out of business. Whereas here, you know, you can kind of do some dumb stuff and get away with it and it's not going to bankrupt you. Um, so, which is what we were talking about before. There are people that hate Landstar. I understand why they hate Landstar. I completely get it, but there's nowhere else I would put my trucks, you know? Um, and and and, and I know. get it because like you know you're you know you're going to get consistent freight. You mm -hmm. don't have to worry about that part of it. Um, it's always coming in the door. And it, and I'm, in that video, I think a lot of people thought that I don't like to use Lancer. I use Lancer. I only use one agent, right. and I'm loyal to that one agent. So when I get people calling me saying they're with Lancer, I just tell them, hey, we don't use Lancer. Just to you know get them off the phone right. faster. But. Um, but no, I get it. And, and you said, don't lease a truck. I, I mean, as a guy that had a box truck and I was under the belief that for me and the box truck side of the business, and I don't know, the semi business might be a little bit different, but I felt like I knew my cost with, at the time, Penske, right? This was 2018. I leased on with them. I purchased, lease purchased a truck, basically. It was like $97,000, 26 foot box truck. And I was able to lease it for them, pay them a monthly fee. So I knew what my cost was every single month. Mm -hmm. And if it broke down, Penske would give me another box truck. So I thought that was a really good plan. I don't know how that works for you guys. When you said don't lease, well, can you go into that a little bit more yeah, just for me so, and the audience? I mean, just curious. So you can do that cost analysis. And, and Ryder, uh, Penske is a perfect example. You can't use those trucks at Landstar as a BCO. Um, okay. So that takes that option out. The big problem with truck drivers, um, and I and I mean from the truck driver uh, point of view, they're not going to lease the right truck, right? They're going to go to Lone Mountain and they're going to end up with a four or five thousand dollar a month payment, you know. And then when the market dips as it has now, they're going to be like, "Oh, well, I can't make any money. It's the broker's fault." And I'm like, "No, dipshit, you signed up for a five thousand dollar a month truck payment." You know, our model here, we run all old trucks. We all of our trucks are paid for. We have no loans. Um, and we teach our guys. Um, and it's a math problem. Okay. A truck can make X amount of return, anywhere from seventy-five to hundred and fifty thousand dollars, probably depending on how you run it. So yeah. if you take your truck driver hat off and your truck driver glasses off for a minute and say, Okay, I can make an investment into a business that can return seventy-five dollars to $150,000 a year. What's a reasonable amount of money to make an investment into something that's going to return me that money? We've come up with $40,000. That's what we've always done. You should put no more than $40,000 in your first truck. First truck. All right. Remember, our target audience is first-time owner-operators. So we want you to save up $40,000. Then we want you to go buy a truck for ten. 12, 15, maybe we're going to put 15 or 20 in it to rehab it. 
We're going to set it on jack stands. We're going to go from the front to the back and the top to the bottom. We're going to go bushings and brakes and tie rods and shocks. And uh, we're going to put on some uh, modifications like OPS. And we're going to put on really good tires. Rocky's in the comment section. We're going to have Rocky do a really, really good alignment so that it doesn't chew up those good, expensive tires. And we're going to do everything that we can to get that truck on the road to be DOT legal, roadworthy, and incredibly efficient with great fuel mileage for less than $40,000. And now you have a paid-for asset that can earn you a return, depending on how hard you work, $7,500, $150,000, and you're, you're not driving around with this giant payment around your neck. And that's, and I see them come in, we've got developed a relationship with a local shop and I've been up there turning wrenches a lot. And since this downturn has come, one of the funniest things I've ever seen, I will watch them walk in and you can tell how broke they are just by looking just, just see their face. They're dead. They don't have two nickels to rub together. And oh my EGR valve or my coolers leaking, or I've got this problem, that problem. And oh well, listen, man, I, I you got to give me a discount. You got to give me a discount because I'm a I'm a I'm a truck driver and and I'm looking at this shop owner that's got a business. You know, uh, he's got to make a profit. He's got people he's got to pay. He's got to pay for the parts. But these truck drivers that won't haul cheap freight, they want to know the cheapest place to get a turbo. They want to know the cheapest place to get tires. They want to know the cheapest place that they can find to get their truck worked on. And then when they end up on the side of the road and don't have two nickels to rub together, we're supposed to work for free to get your truck back on the road. I mean, the, the number of times that he's had to chase them down, you know, cause they'll fix the truck and I'll shove a some bitch in gear and take off and they have chased them down. So, what we want people to do, if you want to be in trucking and you want to be an owner-operator, the first thing you have to do is manage risk. Well, if you go down to the dealership and you sign up for a 2024 Freightliner, <laughs> you sign up for a 2024 Freightliner for $5,000 a month, and then uh, six weeks later, it breaks, breaks down because the emissions is bad, and it's going to sit there waiting six weeks on parts. Well, guess what my 99 Century's not doing? sitting anywhere six weeks waiting on parts you know my yeah, truck yeah. we can fix them on the side of the road in the parking lot in a truck stop you know and generally you can do it with a damn crescent wrench you know you don't need um you know so it's all about managing risk so absolutely and, and of course like we said truck drivers generally have absolutely no business experience they have no business sense and then they think you know, and you can roll through our comment section. I did a rehab on a $15,000 truck. We bought it sight unseen. Uh, my buddy, Josh, he texted me a Facebook marketplace link. He said, Hey, you want to, he said, I'll pay you 500 bucks to go up and look at this truck. And I looked at it and I went, guy wants 15 grand. He said, yeah, I said, pay him. I'll go get it. So I went up there with a toter. I drug it back. I started it when I got there, I walked around, make sure the frame wasn't broke, but I brought that $15,000 truck back rehabbed most of it myself um and it's about to you know it's getting ready to start hauling freight and that truck i i I think our best truck this year net after landstar made 200 and i think it's two hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and that's an 06 columbia with a white hood and a red body 
I don't want to hear anybody say that freight brokers make all the money then, because that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty good money. Maybe I'm in the wrong side of the business, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now I can tell you this: we were down from 2022 to 2023. We at Blue Ribbon were down one million dollars. You know, we were too. You know, a million real money. You know, after yeah. Landstar stole our money, we were down a million dollars. Um. Most people can't survive that, but we can survive yeah. it because we have an unbelievably low cost of operation. Uh, everything that we do runs like a well-oiled machine. Uh, we have all of the, 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 the habits and the practices and policies in place to save money. And most truck drivers are horrible at that, you know. Well, I mean, like I said, though, if you're netting over 200000 for a truck and <clears> – <throat> You know, I think the truck driver's perspective in our comment sections uh, probably are the guy that's actually driving the truck and they think that they don't make any money. And it's similar in our business, too. Trust me, I face the same uh, entitlement, the same, hey, you're a business owner and you're going on all these vacations and you have all this money and, and we're just making pennies. Well, when you're a business owner, you're the one taking all the risk. You're the one mm -hmm. taking all the planning and understanding and you've done all the work, right? So like some of my employees actually have quit over the years because they can't handle that and they feel entitled like they should be making the same amount of money as I am because they're doing all the work. Well, I'm the same, I'm the owner that's jumping in and doing the calls like you've seen in my videos and I'm the one doing sales calls and bringing on new business and and still hiring people and firing people and, and doing the day-to-day -day operation. So it, I think those truck drivers in the comments that are saying that the brokers are stealing everything. It's just this, I don't know, disease in our whole, whole United States is that mm -hmm. everybody's entitled and think that they're entitled to make as much as Mark Cuban. I mean, if I was the same way and I thought I was entitled to make as much as Mark Cuban, I'd be depressed too, because I'm never going to get to his level. Most likely, you know, right. um, I mean, I could work day in and day out and probably not do as well as he's done, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of those truck drivers come in. I don't know. I was trying to get your comment section up to see if there was anything. I, happening so I've, I've got, yeah, I've got one I'm going to hit here from Josh's uh, adventure. No reason at all. I asked, um, sorry it says, how will the PRO Act affect the broker-truck relationship? Does it change when and if you can't lease onto anyone? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there first and ask Chris. The PRO Act is going exactly nowhere. Probably won't survive a constitutional challenge. But let's say for the sake of argument that the PRO Act gets through. Which it won't, but let's say it did. <laughs> um, it's not going to affect the broker-truck relationship because it's a business-to-business -business relationship. Um, I, my opinion is that most of the people talking about this are just as dumb as the people that are writing the laws. They have absolutely no clue how the industry works. They have absolutely no clue how business works. Um, this is a, this, this pro act is a, it's a vote buying game, right? It's a, it's a, uh, it's fishing for the lowest common denominator to get those people that he was just talking about to vote for them because Mark Cuban or Zuckerberg or Elon are rich. And the only reason they're rich is because they stole it from me. Just like the brokers taking all of my money. It, it's just fishing for lowest common denominator. So I have absolutely no faith that the pro act is going anywhere. Um, 
the KGB, I mean, the IRS um, is going to start going after the 1099 people harder. Um, especially those of you crooks that convince dumb truck drivers to drive for you on a 1099 so that they can get you to pay your, their taxes for them. Um, they're going to try, but y'all it's whack-a-mole. It's whack-a-mole. There's hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, they would have to have what well, the, everybody was fired up about 87,000, uh, IRS. They'd have to have 870,000 IRS agents to get all that. All right. Now I've said my piece. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd agree probably. I mean, I don't know a bunch about the PRO Act. I haven't really looked into it unless they had some kind of clause in there that we had to have transparency in the broker-carrier relationship, which I'm all for. I'm okay with showing the fact that I'm making $100, $200, $300 on a load. I average between 10 and 18%. I'm not afraid to tell anybody that, you know. Um, these guys are out there thinking we're making 50% or 100%. So unless that had something in there, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't seen the act. I really don't pay attention to politics uh, yeah. outside of my local jurisdiction here in Kansas City. But um, so I haven't researched it that much and I've been super busy. But in today, when I started 19 years ago, we were using paper to do all our orders, right? We were sticking them on the wall. They were all paper hand. We print out every order. We track them every day, put them back up on the wall and look at them. Be like, oh, look, we got 20 orders today, you know. So that's how we started out. And we we had a fax machine and a computer and a phone. And the same thing for most trucking companies. I remember my parents getting faxes saying, hey, I've got a load I need to move from here to here. And it was crazy. It came in on the little fax and rolled up in a roll, you know, like. Yeah. And today's environment with social media, with technology, is that anybody can do anything they want that they put their mind to and they work hard enough for it. You know, you got to hustle. And I just, and the, you know, the truck drivers that talk about freight brokers, what we're doing is all we're doing is hustle. We're just out hustling everybody. And we're out there pounding the pavement, looking for freight. I have over 150 to 200 active shippers a month. And that's with people sending me emails. I get over 250 emails a day. I answer every single one of them in five or 10 minutes. And that's how we keep the lights on and that's how we make money. Um, I can tell you that he's making more money than me <laughs> as a broker versus a carrier. And I mean, I mean, just being honest with what his numbers he's talking about. So, um, but the great thing is like, you know, I posted that video on TikTok on Tuesday, it blew up. It gave me a lot of opportunities. People beating down the door talking about, I need a quote or I need to ship this or whatever. And we've had some really cool stuff uh, pop up. So, but that's social media and it's free. So mm -hmm. like he does social media, he does YouTube, I do social media and it takes one thing for you to become an overnight sensation. You know, like everybody wants to say like Nike, for example, you know, they just lost Jordan, but you know, everybody thought Nike was an overnight sensation, but he had been in business. If you read the book, like 15 or 18 years before he ever hit it big. And so I'm hoping to be the next overnight sensation that's been working 20 years to get there. So you know, um, but no, seriously, I mean, there's so many people out there doing it right now. And my kids, your kids, I mean, they're in a better position than we were when we first got into this industry, because you can literally do anything you want right now in any market because of social media, because of connections, because of how easy it is to communicate. Um, it, it's just insane how much better they have it than we had it. Oh, yeah. Richie's got a good question here. How prevalent is cargo theft and loads being held hostage by shady carriers who demand more money after pickup? I mean, it's not happened to me, knock on wood, um, in a while. I, I did have a couple 
five, 10 years ago before we started really vetting carriers hardcore with the double brokering. But, you know, there was a story last year, I think, that there was a broker that gave a carrier, one of the fake carriers, uh, 10 truckloads of like electronics or something. It was multi-million dollars of loads and they stole all of them. And so the thing is, for what I talked about with the double brokering side of things is that you have a good carrier audience here is that you guys can do your part just like we try to do our part is that your drivers need to be paying attention to the bill of ladings, making sure that your carrier name is on the bill of lading, that the broker you got the load from is on the bill of lading. If it's not, that's a red flag. That means that it's probably been double or tripled or quadruple brokered or something like that. But mm -hmm. the people out in California, the thing they're doing is they're having, they're telling carriers to pick up from XYZ warehouse and then drop it at this warehouse down the street in California. And then they're still in loads. Um, I don't know if you saw that YouTube video, that guy, he's pretty famous. I can't think of who it is now, but he bought a truckload of products. Some guy said he just needed to get rid of because someone had it on his truck for a week and they weren't paying him. And so this guy made this video of auctioned, you know, buying all this stuff. He like paid this guy like $8,000 for this truckload of freight. Well, that freight was stolen. Guaranteed you 100% that whole trailer was stolen. And he was trying to make a story up that, oh, this broker won't pay me. So I'm just going to sell it to somebody. No, like if it's too good to be true on the load boards, that's another thing. Like I think carriers see these rates sometimes they're like, oh, this guy's going to pay me $4,000 to go a thousand miles in a, in a drive-in or a box truck or something like that. I mean, it's just, that doesn't happen on the load boards. And if that is, that's too good to be true. Probably has a red flag and they're probably not going to pay you. And so like you're talking about, like, I think that theft happens every day. I mean, it is prevalent. It is hardcore right now. And that's why I'm so big on social media. And there's a bunch of people on LinkedIn and stuff. We're really trying to battle this double broker thing because at the end of the day, that just hurts the carriers. I mean, the carriers want to say that we're not for them, but we really are. We're we're trying to, if you guys aren't in business, then we're not in business, you know? So, yeah. Well, and it uh, it's another example of why I, I think new, new, uh, new owners need to be leased to a carrier. It doesn't have to be leased. I agree. Leased to a reputable carrier because they can protect you because you can get screwed really hard by accident, you know, you just, you don't know what to look for. And, and, and in your, uh, when you were talking about the customer, the shippers, especially, um, and, and I didn't even think about this and, and, until you said it, you know, they could fix a lot of this if they would just go yeah. outside and look at the truck, you know, yep. now everybody think about it. Everybody pause on that for just a second. For all of you mouth breathers that complain and whine about our old trucks and how the customers aren't going to use our truck. They won't even walk outside and look at the truck. Only damn thing they'll see is the inside of the trailer. Okay. Now, if they would walk their ass outside, they might be able to see, wait a minute. We hired one, two, three, four, but ABCD's here, right? Why, you know, mm -hmm. now maybe it's impractical, you know, maybe it, maybe it's, it's, it's a too much of a burden, uh, for every customer to put that level of scrutiny on that. Um, I'm but, sorry, I just don't think that's the case. I mean, these carriers that are showing up literally could, if they're not, if if a shipper is not doing their job, could steal their freight. I could steal anybody's freight if they're not going to do that. Give yeah. me a truck. Let me go to the backup, bop, bop to the dock. I mean, how many stories are there where a guy just backs up to the trailer, walks in, says, hey, I'm here to pick up that load. And they're like, oh, the one going to California? Everything. Oh, yeah, that's the one. And then they don't even say anything. They don't even get the guy's driver's license. They don't even take a picture of the truck. 
the license plate, nothing. And then the guy loads up and drives down the road. And who was that guy? I don't even know who that guy was. He's gone now. You'll love this. When I was, when I was leased to Anderson, we did a lot of blanket wrap stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a bunch of big money load and then we'd throw a little broker load and I went to pick up a broker load and I walk in and you know, the pickup number had not made it from the broker through down to the people to me. And he goes, well, listen, you've got to have a four five, six number. And I'm like, so I pick up the phone and I call my fleet manager and I'm like, Hey Jay, um, they're saying I need a four five, six number. And he's, and I can hear him ruffling through paperwork and he's clicking buttons and he's yelling at the people over there. And I look up on the whiteboard <laughs> and there's the pickup number. And I went, Oh, okay. Four five, six, three, two, one B seven, four. And Jay's like, what are you talking about? And I'm just reading it off the damn whiteboard, but kind of, and that guy goes, yeah, man, that's it. I could have yeah. stole that load, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've walked in. Well, in fact, when I had the box truck business, I remember, you know, a couple of brokers would be like, Hey, make sure you check in as so-and-so. And now that I think back on it, I'm like, those loads were probably double brokered. And because it was in 2018 before really the shit hit the fan per se, um, I'm sure that those, some of those loads I was picking up in that box truck were probably double brokered or something, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it happens every day because shippers are not doing the job that they should be doing. And it's not like they're, they're, most of these shippers are out there sending a hundred truckloads a day. I mean, you're, you're 10 truckloads a day. You can't walk out there and look at the truck and, and actually ask the driver for his driver's license. Like, hello, I'm sorry. That would be, I actually had that happen to me once out in Pennsylvania. I remember the, company walked in and said, Hey, I need to see your driver's license. All right, here you go. They took a copy of it, you know, loaded the load up and I took off, you know? So it's it just those like extra things that people should be doing that they don't would stop this fraud immediately. I mean, the FMCSA and DOT could help out a lot too, if they would quit, you know, giving people MC numbers and DOT numbers, but yeah, that's another story. They hand out MC numbers like, you know, uh, Andy, dude. Andy out of a white van. Um, 500 a day last year and some days were 700 a day i'm like i don't think there's that many guys and and ladies that are buying trucks in the u.s every single day for a whole year or two i was just baffled by that number i was like that is insane freight waves had them uh at one point had a metric that said it was a thousand a day um yep. in 21 um, 21 yeah and you know, i guess into 22 and now they're leaving at 500 a day you know, and they're like, oh, well, it'll take seven years to get back to pre-COVID levels. I'm like, no, it's not going to take that long because um, they're dropping. That's not even the 500. The 500 that are leaving are not true real carriers. So it's right. not like we're losing capacity out of the system. Those car, those carriers weren't even real. They were fake carriers that they were using for this scheme. And it's just unfortunate. But back to your point about your operation, which I really think is something that new carriers should do, just like anybody that wants to get in to be a new broker, you know, all these people on my comments were like, Hey, I want to be a broker. I want to be a broker. And they want to ask you a million questions and then really not do anything with it. But really anybody new in either of our industries needs to work for somebody first Mm -hmm. to learn the game. I mean, I worked for somebody first, learned the game and then started my own deal. I mean, you did as well. And so, if you do it right and you work for the right people and they treat you right, then you can stay with them. But if you want to move on and do your own thing, you need to learn the business. You can't just go out and buy a truck or open a brokerage tomorrow and think, 
I think people do it in the restaurant business too, or they do it in, oh, yeah. I'm going to sell this or sell that. They think I'm going to just open this business and it's going to magically appear. You know why I don't have any hair? It's because I own the trucking transportation company for 19 years and I had two daughters. So, but you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't happen just because you think I'm going to open a trucking business and I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow, or I'm going to open a brokerage business and I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow. No, it, it takes hard work any job anything you want to do in life takes hard work and that's and that's how i raise my kids sports whatever like if you're going to try to do something try to do it the best you can and figure out how to do it and learn from the the best people um and so i mean i i applaud you guys for trying to help people out and get and that's the same thing i'm going to try to do with this exposure that i've gotten is try to help some people if they want to you know jump in and, and try it out then hey i'll I'll help you, you know, every way, step of the way I can, but I can't make all the sales calls for you. I can't beat on the doors for you. I can't do the hard labor part of it. You know, I can teach you, show a horse to water, you, can, you know, drink a day, whatever, fish, uh, teach a man to fish, or fit, you know, yeah. feed themselves for water, whatever that line is. But so, yeah, I mean, I think you guys are doing a good thing with that. So I got a couple of questions here I'm going to hit. Um, Sweet. How are the rates at Landstar right now? Thinking about leasing four trucks to them. Is there any double brokering that goes on at Landstar? And we are having to do something. Our insurance went up $36,000 for renewal. Okay. So first of all, I'll ask the first answer to the first part of the question. How are the rates at Landstar? Landstar is no different than anybody else. The market's the market. The, the rates are set by the uh, available trucks versus the available loads. Um, now, we have a lot of contract freight here. Um. We did $3.29 per loaded mile. It's what the customer paid um, for us to haul freight on all of 2023. Um, and that was most of that was contract freight. You know, we, we had some broker freight here and there. And we, you know, I don't, out of eight or 10 trucks running, I'll probably do four or five broker loads during the week. But most of it's contract. Um, is there double brokering? Well, that's always the big one. So here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> we're, we are a BCO fleet. We are leased to Landstar. Their DOT numbers on the side of our truck. If say my friend Scott here down the road, who's a Landstar agent goes and signs up a customer. Um, that's a direct freight relationship. And Scott gets me to haul that, that freight. That's a BCO hauling that load. But if he can't find me, he can put that load out on the board and he can find what are called approved carriers. These are carriers that have gone through some process to be approved to haul Landstar freight, that direct freight, keyword, that direct freight, um, under with, in an agreement with Landstar. Now, that is not double brokering. That's Landstar, the broker authority carrier, brokering a loadout to a carrier to haul that load. Here's where it Who's gets the insurance? Who, who handles the insurance in that case? For the carrier side, does Landstar cover the carrier? I would assume the carrier does. I would would assume the carrier does. Now, here's where it gets ugly. If, say, um, let me think about how to do this. Let's say a Landstar agent um, calls Steve, right? Steve's got a load on the board. Hey, Steve, I see you got this load from A to B. And I would like to book it. I'm with Landstar. And Steve says, okay, give me the information. As long as that's a BCO, that's not a problem. 
right? The problem is one of these approved carriers will come in and a Landstar agent will take Steve's load and put it on a broker carrier, approved carrier. It's not technically double brokering, but when the first problem hits, somebody screwed up the pickup number, somebody gave the wrong address, and somebody gets their feelings hurt, that's when it all goes to shit, and that's how Landstar's got such poop on their nose because of this deal. Now, then there's the other scenario where it's just some Landstar agent with a connection um, is going out and knowingly getting a load from Steve and putting it on a, on a broker carrier. Yeah. It's morally shaky ground, and I wish they wouldn't do it um, because there's lots of times that I will call an agent that I don't know personally, hey, I'm calling about a load A to B. Are you a BC or a carrier? Well, I'm a BCO, and I'm thinking, I know damn well that this is not a Landstar direct load, so you shouldn't be asking that question. You should only be putting that load on a BCO, but you're not. I know what you're doing, right? He's Land probably Star. asking the carrier for less money than he is the BCO. But yeah. the other, the double brokering side of it for Landstar, at least what I've run into is some of the guys that are agents that are taking a load from a broker like myself and not using any kind of Landstar, BCO or approved carrier. And then they just give the load to another friend of theirs who has a broker and that broker goes out and finds the carrier. That's when the real double brokering happens. And that's the, that's the stuff that shouldn't happen because then you don't know what carriers being used. They're not a Landstar approved carrier. They're not insured most likely. And so if there's an accident uh, or the freight gets stolen, you don't even know who to go after, right? So that's where right. that shipper that we were talking about earlier, if they would just walk out, look at the door and be like, okay, yeah, I know we were supposed to have a Landstar BCO or we were supposed to have XYZ carrier from Landstar, but ABC carrier showed up instead. Like, that's not right. Like, that's the that's where the carriers are getting screwed. And I think why the carriers think the brokers keep all the money is because I take my two or $300 and then that Landstar agent takes his two or three hundred dollars, and then that other broker that they gave the load to takes another two or three hundred dollars, and then yeah, by the time it gets to the actual carrier that found the load on the load board, why they didn't find it when I posted it with the good rate, I don't know, but um, right. you know that's that's always the the sketchy. And and here's one other issue for BCOs. <laughs> Excuse me. It comes down to being a problem of not understanding how the system works. Okay. If a, um, a BCO calls on a load, uh, or well, back up, an agent puts a load on the board. Let's say, and let's go back to our scenario. Landstar agent sees Steve's load on the board. And let's say he's a good guy. He's going to do everything the right way. And he would like to present that load available for a BCO. Because I can't, as a BCO, I can't go book it myself. I have to go through an agent, okay? So he's going to look at Steve's load. Maybe Steve don't have the rate posted. Steve just got the load from A to B, all right? That agent's going to say, okay, well, it's going from A to B. That lane's probably going to pay 1500 bucks. So he's going to post it because he's also got to post it for amount that a BCO will call, you know, because it's an advertisement. So he puts it on the board, 1500 bucks. BCO calls. Hey, I'm interested in this load from A to B. Well, now the broker or the agent has to call Steve. 
because the agent cannot call Steve to get that load unless he has a truck on the line. So he's put his bait in the water. He's hooked a BCO. He's trying to reel him in. Now he's got to call Steve. Steve, hey, I've got a truck available for your load from A to B. Uh, we'll do it for fifteen hundred. And Steve says, thirteen fifty is the max. Okay. The agent now has to go back to the BCO and say, well, look, uh, yeah, the load is good, but they they only want to pay thirteen fifty, not fifteen hundred. Most BCOs go, oh, this cheating son of a bitch. He's trying to. Nope. Nope. Not how it works at all. He's got to get you on the line so that he can call and try to get that load. And then he's got to negotiate with Steve. Well, Steve's not going to budge off of 1350. That's what's going to pay. So when I run into those situations, I say, uh, you know what, man, no, thanks. And I move on with my life. I don't throw a temper tantrum. I don't hold my breath. I don't cross my arms. I don't sure as hell don't post on Facebook about it. I just move on with my life. Now, if he comes back and I look at it, my minimum rate per day is fourteen fifty, but if I'm in the situation where thirteen fifty gets me to the next day, I might say, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll broker. I'll take it." Which is hilarious a lot of times because the agent's like, "What'd you say?" You know, because they don't know how to react when I don't throw a temper tantrum like a three year old. And I go, "Yeah, I'll take it at thirteen And they're like, "Oh, oh, 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 well, okay." Because the thing about Landstar, okay, hate on them all you want, the agent. And the BCO are paid off of the same freight bill. So there's no scenario where the agent is going to book a load with the customer and the money come to the agent and then go to the BCO and work that way. If that freight bills for 1350, the agent's percentage comes off of that 1350. The truck's percentage comes off of that 1350. The trailer's percentage comes off of that 1350 and so on and so on and so forth everybody's paid off of the same thing and you want transparency or you think you do. Oh, I want transparency. Okay. Then lease to a carrier, you get all the transparency you want because everybody's paid off of the same paperwork. Now, somebody mentioned, uh, Josh's trucking business. Isn't there already a law for transparency? I don't think it's anyone's business. I'd rather have the broker make good money. As long as I'm making what I need, that means they will be stable. So there is a transparency law. The problem with a bunch of y'all is even if you got the transparency that you think you want, you've made your mind up. If, if, if you get the government to put a gun to Steve's head, all right, Steve, pull your pants down. And Steve does. And you're going to go, well, this is bullshit because it doesn't fit your preconceived uh, notion and your preexisting bias that he's getting 50% when the nationwide average is 15 and has Mm -hmm. been for Eon has been sometimes it's 10, maybe sometimes it's 20, but the average is 15% that brokers are getting this, this, this horseshit nonsense that y'all come up with this agents are getting 50% of the rate. It's illogical. Okay. And I know y'all believe everything you think. I know you do. You got all that time to look out that windshield and just make up all kinds of stupid stuff. And then you go sit down at the truck stop at the liar's counter and y'all can compare notes on about all the bullshit that you believe, but it's illogical. The customer's not going to let that happen. And the other brokers are not going to let Steve take 50% of the rate because they're going to go to the customer and say, well, listen, Steve's charging you $3,500 to do this lane. We'll do it for 29. And the customer's going to go, well, hell yeah, we'll do it for 29. And Steve's 50%, poof, 
is gone in flash. Guys, it's just common sense. I know it's yeah. like deodorant. The people that need it the most don't have it, but it's just logic. That, that, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, – so the Landstar agents even have that kind of broker – bco relationship almost to where the the bcos think the agents are screwing them over sometimes it sounds oh, like so that's kind oh, of interesting yeah. oh yeah <laughs> that's funny but, well and, um, it, and it's funny too because these these uh, facebook groups these landstar facebook groups are they're precious it's just mm -hmm. constantly bcos just bagging on agents and i know plenty of agents now i've been here 10 years and i've gotten to know them and i get to hear the stories of the stupid stuff that BCOs do, you know, drive off with the wrong trailer and go 500. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the really, really stupid stuff that they did. There's an agent 10 miles from my house that she's got a giant poster board on the wall. And all these, all these BCOs love to talk about their do not haul list. Hey, precious. The, the agents have do not haul list too. And there's a bunch of y'all's names on it. Right. Cause I've seen it. The truck number and the name right there. Do not haul, do not use. Um, because when you screw them over, they'll remember it, you know, and I've told the story before, but back in like 21, um, 22 markets going nuts, spot market rates are five, $6 a mile. And I had an agent call me, it's a Jamaican lady. And she says, uh, she goes, Hey man, do you have any trucks near, I don't know, it was York PA or something. And I said, no, the closest guy I got is 300 miles away. And she said, I am in a terrible position. If I miss one more load, we're going to lose this customer. Well, she had a lane that I liked, that we like to do a lot. And she said, if I don't get this covered, we're in big trouble. And I said, what's it pay? And it was awful. It was like $950. I deadheaded a truck 300 miles to pick up her shitty load. Guess who remembered that when 2023 started happening and, and the bottom fell out of the market? You know, when I hear that sweet Jamaican voice on the phone that says, I wanted to call you before I posted this. They remember both. Don't y'all forget that. <laughs> That's 100% true. That's why, like, when I mentioned that, you know, customer that told me their budget was 2000 and I told them, no, nah, I can do it for 1250 And I asked a bunch of other people what they would do. And some were like, oh, I'd keep the 2000 or I'd charge them 1450 or I'd charge them 1650 And I was like... Why? I mean, I'm still making money at 1250. Why am I going to charge them more than that when I know they're going to come back because they appreciate that honesty and that loyalty that, hey, I'm here for you and you're here for me. Mm -hmm. When I and, and I know my customers the same way. Like if I quote them 1250 and I fucked up and it should have been 1450 and I go to them, hey, I got a truck, but it's actually 1450. I need a couple hundred bucks more. They're going to be like, OK, yeah, sure. That's no problem. Mm -hmm. But if you don't do that, then, you know, like. A broker's a broker. We all basically can quote the same thing. It's who wants to make the most money on a load or whatever. But I'm about relationships and working with the carriers to make sure that they have loads to feed their families, you know? So, I mean, it's it's a two-way street. I So then that reminds me of a question because I've always kind of assumed this. But when the market went crazy in 2021, 22, um, I mean, everybody had contracts. There's contracts all over the place. I mean, places just littered with contracts. And it weren't worth the paper they wrote on because the, the spot market was demanding this crazy rate. So was was that how it went? You called them and said, Look, this is what it's gonna take to move this to move this freight. And they had to pay it or 
or not, right? Yeah, I don't have any contract freight, to be honest with you. Um, all of mine is one-off specialty stuff. That's what we do. We do mainly specialty freight. But um, I know in 2020, we got lucky because we did have a lot of medical equipment. So, you know, we were shipping every hospital bed, ventilator, whatever you could think of during COVID, which kept us in business, whereas a lot of our competitors' warehouses shut down and they were SOL because they had all their eggs in one basket. We were spread out over a bunch of different industries, so we were fine. But to, to your point, though, like I think what was happening for the big dogs like CH and TQL and Global Trans and some of those guys that had those contracts, they held strong on those contracts. And the, from what I've heard is, especially at CH, management told them take a loss, just keep the customer. Mm -hmm. And they've done that for the last year and a half to two years straight. And that's why you've seen a couple of big brokers go out of business this year is because they were telling their sales reps, if we have a contract at $500, $500 and it takes a thousand, cover the load. And they were just losing money left and right. I'm not in the game to lose money. So mm -hmm. it's a two-way street for me and my clients. But I think CH and some of these guys are still taking losses on lanes because they've got a contract in place and they're going to honor that contract, you know. That's why I don't like contracts in the freight broker market because, you know, although the cost of a truck is the same, the fuel never is, but, you know, it's just like, I, I don't get that at all. Like, that's why I've never gotten into the, I mean, I actually, from that video, I had a guy contact me about doing 60 truckloads of water um, in the Northeast. And I gave him a price. He said, yeah, that's in line with our other brokers. And I'm like, I know. I, I know what they're charging and I know what it takes to move the load. Do you want to use me or not? Like, I'm not going to beg for your freight and I'm not going to cut my rate $50 just to get you on board so I can get 40 truckloads a, a month. Because really, at that point, you really don't need me. That's kind of what I told him. I was like, you can go out and get your own carriers for that stuff. Like, I really honestly believe that the contract freight that you're talking about where there's a lane from Kansas City to St. Louis and it's 40 times a day. I think that stuff's going away for brokers uh, with technology, any shipper out there that is not contracting directly with the carrier. I think it's crazy. I think they're just wasting money, even though you said they don't really want to hire someone to, to run that or talk to the drivers or whatever. I mean, 40 truckloads, 100 truckloads a month that are going on the same lane to the same customer every single time. It should just be electronic. And there should be no broker involved in that unless the broker is just going to provide the technology and yeah. charge like a $50 fee or something like that for transactional stuff. But like, see, and that's what CH Robinson does. And that's why they're $6 billion company is I think they have the technology that they can have all that contract freight that no one ever even ever touches unless there's a problem. And mm -hmm. so they have a hundred truckloads moving on that lane and they just, it just moves, you know, with their technology. So, but I mean, again, I think a lot of that contract stuff's going away for brokers. And I think the brokers that are preparing like we are for that um, are going to be better off for it. So do you do you pay attention to blockchain and crypto? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's my fervent belief that um, we will see a complete end to double brokering. Um, I, at one point, um, I thought brokers would go away. I had a guy tell me, I interviewed him on the podcast years ago. He was a broker and he was like, I won't retire as a broker because of blockchain. And I bought that at first, but then I got to know a couple more brokers and I went, no, 
the broker won't go away because the broker provides an important source of information and experience about moving freight that the customer doesn't have and the customer doesn't really need. But what blockchain will do, I believe, because of the decentralized nature of the uh, of the technology, the ledger, that these examples that we're talking about uh, where maybe the customer could solve the double broking by going out and looking at the truck, um, that once we start moving freight contracts on blockchain and everybody in um, everybody in the transaction is verified with blockchain technology, it's over. You know, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, Gary V actually came to me two years ago and said that to me directly in a message. And I didn't think it was him at first, and then I got to realize it was him and started talking to him. He's like, Hey, I've seen your videos, I need you really should be thinking about blockchain for freight, and, and I've been working on it and trying to get there. Um, I agree with that though, like everybody in the transaction, it needs to have transparency, but it also needs to be a ledger to keep that. Um, you know, and that's what I'm working on right now. Actually, our technology by June will be kind of like that and that we will approve shippers to be there and carriers to be there so that they can interact and we don't have to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do the financial part of it, make sure that they're both good players to make sure everybody's getting the money that they should kind of almost like a, um, I don't know what that word is, um, where you keep the money in earnest or whatever, like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. like an escrow, you know what I'm talking? yeah, an escrow. Yeah. Like almost like escrow in a way in that, Hey, we vetted this shipper. We know they're a good company. We've looked at their credit and we're approving them. We're the trusted partner in this relationship and we've approved this carrier as being legit. Now you guys can work together uh, through the technology, post a load, take a load. And all we get is 25 bucks or 50 bucks per transaction no one needs to make 10, 20% in that, right? We don't need to. If they're doing all the work and we're just using the technology, then that's kind of a blockchain in a little sense of the way. Um, but I think you're right. I think blockchain is definitely going to change. I talked to a guy. AI, AI will. I talked to a guy one time and he, he thought that trailer, that carriers owning trailers would go away. And I'm like, okay, you have my attention. He was like, well, think about it. If you had a, if you had a, an entire freight network saying the entire American freight network running on blockchain, carriers wouldn't need trailers. There could be another third party that owned trailers. Okay. And you're a shipper. You got a load going out on Thursday. So you order a trailer and the company brings over and puts a trailer in your dock. <clears throat> then they load that trailer. The, um, the, the carrier is now down the street and because blockchain allows us to view things happening in real time where we don't have to forecast based on what we did last year, we can literally forecast on what's happening literally in the moment that I can see a carrier that's going to drop a trailer at the customer three blocks from me. And I see his rating. I see everything about him. I see his insurance. I see his experience. I see his qualifications. And, I, and he comes over, well, he just scans a QR code on the nose of the trailer, hooks it up, breaks the, the geofence that says it's on the way, breaks the geofence at the receiver, backs into the door, scans the QR code, instantly paid. I mean, that 
it's it what's cool about that thought process is that the technology exists for that to happen it's not like we've got to say well boy if we could just figure out how to do all of these algorithms and mathematical computations it's here it, it's existed yeah. since 2008 um so if and when we get on that train it radically changes makes deadhead almost nothing zero you know because why would you deadhead 150 miles when there may be a load three blocks away that you now know about right now you don't know about it because you're connected to jb hunt and somebody else is connected to ch robinson and you have no idea that that loads there the customer doesn't know where you are now if everybody knows where everybody is it's just it's it's amazing what could happen that the possibilities that this technology could bring us into running freight contracts on blockchain and then running payment on blockchain. Whereas when you, when you pull in and prove by geofence that you're there, boom, paid. Um, so it's a fascinating time, I think, to be in the, in the transportation industry. Um, because listen, since 1980, we've been polishing a turd, you know, we've made the turd more efficient and the turd is more sleek, you know, but it's still a turd. The the way that we move freight in this country, well, worldwide, you know, even on, across the sea, the way we do it is like you were talking about the papers. We've just dis- digitized the paper, but we've not really revolutionized how we move freight and how we yeah. connect people. Um, we've just digitized a, a kind of a bad system. And it's a miracle to me that anything gets anywhere. <laughs> Well, I think the reason why it does get anywhere is because it's so fragmented and there are so many players that really, I think the consolidation of brokers, the consolidation of carriers that you're seeing, you know, with YRC going out of business and some of these other big brokers like Convoy going out, the digital broker and and maybe Uber Freight, rumors of them going under or whatever, like, I think that they're they're early in the process. And like you said, someone's going to figure it out. I'm hoping it's going to be me and um, <laughs> we can capitalize on it and make a billion dollars. But, um, yeah. but, you know, like, I think it's because it's so fragmented and there's so many players in the industry as consolidation continues to happen, that becomes more of a possibility. But right now, like you said, when broker A and B and C don't all talk together, I've been trying to talk to people in the industry about collaboration you know, because you hear that word a lot in music and social media and all these big players talking about collaboration. Well, our industry needs collaboration because, and that would be the blockchain, I guess, but just collaboration and understanding where all the freight's at. I mean, if I'm a carrier and maybe you guys being a BCO don't do this, but when I was running my truck, I knew, like, if I took a load to Minnesota, I knew who I could call to get a load back. Yep. And that's what my parents used to do back in the 80s and early 90s is that they figured out like, okay, I know if I'm running to Florida, I can get a load of oranges out. Or if I'm going to here, I can get this load out. And so they just knew because they've been doing it for so long, they just knew where everybody was at. And so they never had a problem with really deadheading too far because they just knew. But this was before <laughs> 70,000 brokers were in the industry and 200,000 trucking companies were in the industry or whatever, you know, contracts freight and all that. It was more like, Hey, I know Susie and Susie has this right here, but um, if we could get back to that, where we all collaborate and we all know what is shipping and where it's shipping and, and everything like that, as carriers, you guys would be better off knowing that information, doing your research 
on areas and staying in those areas. I think a lot of carriers fail because they try to do too much. Like when I had my box truck, I said, we're going to run up and down I-35 from Minneapolis to Dallas, and we're going to run I-70 from St. Louis to Denver. And that's all we did. And you know what? We figured out every single company that we needed to do business with by taking broker freight or finding direct direct shippers. And we filled our truck all the time. And we made, like you were talking about, like $180,000 with a box truck, you know, mm -hmm. in one year. And, and so... I mean, it's possible and it's good, but it's good money if you do it right. Yeah. I had some fun with a couple of my guys today. Um, we've got an assistant fleet manager, Richie. And so he's got a couple of guys that he books for and kind of watches over. And I've watched him for two days trying to find a load and they're struggling. It's like, you know, noon, one o'clock. And so Larry has always called me the trip planning ninja. So I got into their their text thread and I'm like, well, the ninja has entered the chat. And Richie goes, watch this bullshit. He's gonna find a load in five minutes. Well, it took me eight. It took me eight. <laughs> but it's just it's a it's a thinking outside the box, you know. Um, I found a load 350 miles away, you know, and if not for a car accident that that slowed him down, he would have made it to that pickup today. Um but I just, I had, you know, I just opened up and I went, okay, well, you know, looking around and boom, there's one. I made the phone call. Here's the deal. We're six hours away. I told him shove that thing in gear and haul ass, you know, and, but it, so many drivers, they get, they get this tunnel vision, you know, they're so obsessed with rate per mile. They'll pick a 200 mile load that pays $5 a mile. Yeah. Well, Dude, you lost $450, $500 that day in potential revenue that you could have made where you could have taken a $2.25 load or a $2.75 load and made $1,500, you know? But, oh, I'm not going to haul for less than $3 a mile. Okay, well, I wish you the best of luck because in that $3.29 that we did for 2023, there was a bunch of dog shit in there. There was a bunch of really horrible loads but you don't see those when you look at the whole year. You right. know? And um, I was going to ask your opinion on that. Cause there's so many carriers that won't, they'll deadhead out of Florida for sake of not taking a dollar per mile for fuel mm -hmm. to get back to Atlanta. And, and to me, it was always about dollars and cents, right? I'd rather, even if I just was surprised that drivers would sit in a, a city for three days, just oh. waiting for that one big money load. And it was like, why are you making your driver sit there for three days when you could have caught a load going somewhere else and found another load and just kept those tires turning? Cause you're not making any money if the tires aren't turning. Right. So like, I just didn't, I never understood some of these drivers and I guess it's prevalent out there that carriers don't want to take a load for fuel mileage. I mean, you made your money going into Ford. If you're smart, you were making the three or four bucks a mile going in. And so you have to take a dollar to get out just to pay for fuel that extra $600 if you do that every week for 50 weeks, 30 what's grand. that? $30,000, $30,000, mm -hmm. right? Or whatever it turns out to be. That's $30,000 in your pocket that paid for fuel. And then you got the extra profit for all the other loads you did. So, mm -hmm. you know, you, you said 329 a mile and you had some dog crap in there. So if you don't even have the dog crap in there, then it's probably four bucks a mile, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know what I'm saying? Like, Go through your spreadsheet well, and, and delete all the draw crap loads out and see what it is. You'd probably shock yourself. Well, and you have to consider, you have to grade on a curve too, because we bring people into this program that in their first four or six weeks are going to make some really, really stupid decisions. 
And I'm going to have to give away good freight because I'm trying to book out three or four or five days, you know, and hit that contract freight right when it hits the board. And then they'll make a stupid trip planning decision because they didn't get the damn calculator out. And I have to give it all away. Now I've got to put pick some piece of garbage uh, that pays $900 just to get them back on freight. So, you know. You're talking if, about mistakes on like ELDs and making sure you're planning your yeah. stops or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, because they, you know, if I'm going to put three or four or five loads together, we're trying to do eight thousand dollars a week, you know, yep. eight grand a week, fourteen fifty during the week, twenty one seventy five for the weekend load. Um, well, it's a lot easier for me to put that in in uh, to get that booked three or four or five days in advance. Well, if you don't plan your trip out to where your hours of service, you know, you've got seventy hours for your business to be open. And at the end of the 70th hour, the government's going to lock your door to where you can't work anymore. Right. You've got to manage your hours of service. You got to think about, okay, well, I'm going to stop here instead of there. And then they'll get in a position. Of course, they never see it coming. You know, it's always, I make a decision on Tuesday. It comes back and bites me in the ass on Friday. Now I'm sitting on Friday going, well, I don't know what happened. And I go back through and I go, see that decision you made on Tuesday. Well, it's the roost, you know, it's come home to roost here on Friday, but you weren't thinking about that Friday on Tuesday, you know, so it's a whole, a whole different mindset. But if we had a fleet full of me with my experience level and my ability to trip plan, those numbers would probably be even higher, you know, <clears throat> and another thing about Landstar, I'm going to say real quick is all of the problems that causes people to hate Landstar is all drive-in freight. Okay. There's freight at Landstar, the AA&E ammunition explosives, the over-dimensional, the high, wide, and heavy stuff that a bunch of you mouth breathers couldn't even dream of hauling, right? We've got a guy that does our platform dispatch, and we got three platform trailers. And he's, I mean, he's an eight-axle truck, extendable flatbed, he did 48 loads in 2023, you know? Um, I know of more than once that he deadheaded from California to freaking Kansas, you know? But it pays so much when you're 97 feet long, but you'll never get there until you learn how to treat the cheap freight, drive-in freight with the respect that it deserves. You'll never make it to pull a 97 foot long load or a 16 foot wide load that pays, you know, $30,000 or whatever it is. These, these super, super crazy, crazy rates. Cause you have to be worth it. Well, he's worth it. You know, he don't have to look for freight. His phone rings. Hey man, I need you in California. What's it paying? Oh, okay. Well, I'll deadhead from Texas. You know, yeah. that's, that's what we should be. Uh, striving for is to be that one in a million, be that guy that is on the other end of the phone when somebody has something that they need done and they call you, that's what you want to be, but you've got to get through the drive-in stuff first. You've got to be able to prove that you can serve the customer and put yourself at the bottom. And then someday you know, man, there's Landstar people running around with damn lift gates and 
belly boxes and all kinds of equipment doing damn Aerosmith and Taylor's. Well, there was a bunch of BCOs on that Taylor Swift gig, you know, and I promise y'all some of y'all knuckle draggers were never going to get on Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, <clears throat> because you couldn't be trusted with something like that. Uh, and if you think, you know, if you hate your dispatcher, wait till you get a hold of one of those guys that's the lead driver on a, on a rock show, you know, hauling around Metallica or some shit. You know, you think I'm a bastard. Wait till you meet one of those guys. They will absolutely not tolerate your nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> those guys are a different breed. That's for sure, man. The, the flatbedders and the oversized loads guys, those guys are the mo the ones that I have the utmost respect for because I know that has got to just be, I mean, they probably don't have any hair either, but um, I mean, it's just got to be nerve wracking to be rolling down the road with 14 foot wide, having cars that are idiots already <laughs> driving beside you. And oh, yeah. uh, in the weather that we're having right now in the Midwest and stuff, like I can't even imagine uh, having to drive through that stuff with some of those loads, those guys haul, man, that's, it's pretty impressive, man. There's a team or was, I guess, at Landstar. Um, they're, they're getting out, I guess they're, they have a Volvo, a 2012 Volvo that they had custom built. And the sleeper was built by an RV company. So this thing has slide outs. It's got a 200 and I think 80 inch sleeper. I mean, it's a monster, right? And they've done all kinds, I guess all kinds of military specialized freight with Conestoga. It's a 2012 truck. So it's 12 years old with 960,000 miles on it. And they're selling it for 170 grand. You know, wow. now I bet you they've made millions with that truck, you know, um, but they specialize themselves, you know, they don't, you're, you're not going to haul general freight with a $350,000 motor home and with a fifth wheel, you know, um, and you know, you don't have to be that to be successful, but you've got to understand that the people that are making that huge money, whether they're a broker, an agent, a, um, a BCO or carrier, whatever, you're only as good as the service you provide. And one of the greatest piece of advice that I got when I was a moron company driver in 2000, I was driving for a guy leased to us express at 65 trucks, making 85 cents a mile loaded and empty. And I asked him, I said, how are y'all making any money at 85 cents a mile? He said, son, profits in the trucking in profits in trucking are measured in pennies, not dollars. There's pennies laying everywhere. You just got to reach over and pick them up. You know, now it took about 20 years for that to sink into my thick head, but I eventually got it. You know, uh, the, the pennies are where you're going to decide whether you succeed or fail. Uh, it's not the dollars, it's the pennies. And if you're not, if you're not able to count those pennies, you're never going to make it as an owner operator. Um, because you and that's one of the things that I surprised all the time is how many owner operators or truck driver company carriers, whatever. Like, I think they could do a lot better job as carriers on partials and understanding you got loaded today at a carrier and you call your dispatcher and you're like, hey, you know, they said this was a full load, but really they only put two pallets in the front of the nose. Like, I've still got 40 feet left. Like, is there another load we could pick up real quick somewhere along the way? Yeah. And fill this trailer up. Right. Like, I don't think that there's a lot of carriers out there thinking because oh, I already got paid for these two pallets. I'm just going to roll. Uh, the, the, the sense is 
can I find another two pallets to pay me another $800 and do that every week? That's mm -hmm. paying for your vacation and your time to be off during Christmas and New Year's or whatever, you know, like yeah. those kind of thought things for business owners. For me, that's how I did it when I had my own box truck was just like, hey, I'm going to pick up every piece of freight I can possibly find from every possible angle, you know. So um, I think if you've got carriers that are listening and they're not doing that, then they're they're missing out. You're reading something funny there. So what, what what's someone uh, say? The guy that I was just telling you about, platform guy, is in, has, has entered the chat. He said, oh, no. I did a 550-mile load for $6,000 this week. And, oh, by the way, it was a legal load. Yeah. But they probably needed the best. They probably needed someone that was probably a half a million dollar piece of something or equipment or whatever. And, you know, you're going to get paid the big bucks when you specialize in that kind of stuff for sure. That's that's crazy money right there. Yeah. And it's, and it's out there, right? But are you ready? Are you equipped? Do you have the skills? Do you have the knowledge? Have you built the relationships? Are you ready when it pops up? Because, you know, sitting here, I've been in this chair now for about two and a half years since I've quit driving. And it used to be, I quit driving in 21. So the market was still nuts. Well, I could, I mean, I could just sit here and just, just book, 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 book. Well, now, uh, the Landstar's got an app called Landstar One and it sends push notifications. When those good loads come up and that push notification hits, you've got three seconds. If you don't hit the button within three seconds, it's gone because everybody else got the same notification that I did. And those of us that are paying attention. And so I have to set my load alerts, right? I have to know what I can do, how far I can go, how much I can deadhead. And I've got to pair that load alert down and that search just right. So that when that thing lights up, hit that button, you know, I'm not even, I haven't even read the whole posting by the time I've got the phone ringing so that I can say, Hey, you still got that? Yep. Yep. Sure. And I could hear the damn phone melting down in the background, you know, they're going, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. but you, but it's, it's all about knowing what you can do, getting out our friend, the BSE 9,000, every decision that we make, it's not on, thoughts and feelings and what we'd rather do every single decision is made with this right here if it makes sense here we do it and if it don't make sense here we don't do it it's that and simple. i think a lot of i think a lot of people in business in general and this is not just in brokers or carriers or whatever they jump into doing something and they think they're going to get rich in six months <laughs> or they're going to yeah. get rich in a year this game is the long game and if you want to retire doing this job that we do it's the long game, right? Like you're right. going to not be an overnight sensation doing what we do, but if you do it right for long enough, you're going to set yourself up to be very successful, but you got to do it right for a really long time. Mm -hmm. and so, we try to, yeah. we try to get people to understand that starting a business doesn't matter if it's truck or anything else. It's like having a baby, you know, if you, for the first five years or so, if you don't feed it and watch over it every minute of every day, it will die, you know? Uh, that's, that, that's, that's what a new business is. And you have to treat it like it's your child, you know? And, and sometimes the, the, the most difficult thing that we'll see, uh, people will come into our program and they'll be like, well, you know, my family. And I'm like, listen, I got a family too. And there were times that I had to say, sorry, y'all, I can't be there right now. I gotta, do, I have to do this, you know? 
so that I worked myself into a position where I'm home now. You know, I'm more valuable in this seat than I am in the driver's seat, but it took me a very long time to get to where I can afford to be in this seat or that somebody can afford to pay me to sit in this seat rather than sitting in the driver's seat. You know, Uh I just lost. Oh, there you went. I lost your audio. I bet he got a phone call or something. Still don't have audio from you. You might have to refresh the page. I'll answer a question while he's there. So uh, I see uh, this is Ink Gaming. You're answer, asking a lot of questions. Here's what I would suggest you do. Go to blueribbonlogistics.com slash conference. Um, and um, fill out that form and we can have a chat because we can answer a lot of these questions. I think I heard you. Are you back now? Yeah. 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 Um, so, oh, I'm really echoing. Uh, I was just kind of echoing really bad. Mm. Am I echoing for you now? No. Oh, okay, cool. It sounds good. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about starting a business and like a baby. I like how you put that analogy. I'm going to have to use that because it is true. You got to feed it for five years. You got to live it. You got to breathe it. You got to, you know, be 100% all in because all these people that are reaching out to me from that TikTok post are like, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I, I tell them, I say, okay, go watch 10 hours of video on YouTube about freight brokering. Come back to me, and then if you really want to do it, then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. And you know how many of those people in four days so far have come back and said anything to me? One out of hundreds. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how many of them come back to me after they've actually watched 10 hours of it. I don't remember if you said this before the show or, or during, but you know, you were talking about how your your phone number and your emails everywhere. You know, we have a link in bio on our TikTok page that has links to everything, our website and all this different stuff. And I'll see comments. They'll see something that intrigues them. Hey, send me a PM. Dude, I'm not sending you a PM. I got a damn, I got, I, this is literally episode number 200 on, on YouTube. So each one of them is a couple of hours. There's 400 hours on YouTube. Go put in the time, you know, but that's that societal thing you're talking about. Like, I think there are literally, and you see this on any video on TikTok, on any, on any topic, you'll go down through the comment section and they'll be like, how do I find more information? Google, maybe. Right. Uh, maybe go to their profile. Do they have a link in bio? Do they have more information? Do they have a, um, you know, do, do they have more? Oh, well, here's a good one. Keep driving down the rates, mega carriers. Okay. Do y'all realize if you add up every truck that Schneider and Swift Knight and Covenant and U.S. Express, if you add them all up together, they're like 15% of the trucks on the road. So somebody's going to have to work really hard to explain to me how a 15% minority in an industry is controlling the rates. It's not happening. They're not significant enough. Now, they do have enough money to have a lot of lobbying power. So 
they're usually the ones behind all of these uh, safety rules and pro act and AB five and all this nonsense. They're guilty there, but 15% of the trucks on the road controlling the rates. Sorry guys. It's illogical. You know what controls the rates, the number of available trucks versus the supply of available loads. That's it. When the loads are up and the trucks are down, the rates go up vice versa. When the trucks are up and the loads are down, the rates go down period. End of story. There's no boogeyman. There is and that's what we're dealing with right now is that too many people jumped in during 2020, 21, 22 into the carrier side. And there are just an overabundance of trucks out there. And so, like you said, you're on that Landstar app hitting that button as fast as you can. It's the same thing on the load boards. Our, our, we post something out there. We might get 100 dials. Like in two seconds, we're getting a million calls. And it's it's hard to weed through them all. But that's what we do. That's what we get paid for. That's why shippers pay us to do what we do. Yeah. And, and everybody's, everybody wants a magic pill, you know, well, what's going to fix it. I tell you what, fix it. $7 a gallon fuel for 90 days. I I would love to see $7 a gallon fuel for 90 days. That fixes the problem instantly because now the people with the $4,000 truck payments can't afford the fuel. We make money on the fuel surcharge because our trucks are efficient. We get good fuel mileage. So our cost per mile for fuel is always less than the national fuel surcharge average. That reminds me of a good question I wanted for you. Does fuel sur does the national fuel surcharge pay play into you quoting lanes? Or are you just looking at the number? It depends on the client. Like if you've got contract freight, a lot of those guys, the big guys like CH and stuff, they'll quote it out at line hall plus the fuel surcharge, the mm -hmm. national fuel surcharge. So that's how they bid their lanes, their big contract freight. Again, I don't do any of that. So when I bid out, mine's including fuel, everything. So mine, it doesn't affect me at all. I don't look at that. I don't, I just know like, you know, Kansas City to St. Louis should be, I should quote the customer like 850 bucks and pay the carrier like six or 700, you know, something like that. So for me, it doesn't. But those big guys, it does. Yeah, it's you know the the fuel surcharge the way we're paid. You know we're, we're the, the we're paid a percentage of the line haul and a percentage of accessories, and then a hundred percent of the fuel goes to the truck, right? So the higher that number is, the more of that total rate that the truck gets. So the sixty five percent works out to be about seventy two. You know, on average, we're getting 72% of the total rate, but we have no trailer costs. We have no insurance costs or no, we have no cargo insurance costs. We just have bobtail physical damage, a few other things here that are 20, 30 bucks a week. And that's it. Um, but that fuel surcharge, you know, as it goes up, those of us that get good fuel mileage are always under what that fuel surcharge is paying. Now, I remember back in the nineties, early 2000s, all the trucks got five miles of the gallon. Fuel was a dollar a gallon and nobody cared. We would start the truck and it would run for three months. Nobody cared. And then in the you know mid 2000s, fuel start climbing up. They come up with this fuel surcharge to get us back to five, five miles per gallon at a dollar a gallon. That's what the whole fuel surcharge system was based on, to get us back to 20 cents a mile, which is what it was back in the 90s. Um, but if you play it right, again, count your pennies. If you're looking at the pennies, you start seeing dollars. 
So the fuel surcharge is, I mean, it basically pays for all of our fuel. Um, but How if much does your truck skip per mile? I'm sorry? How much does your truck skip per mile? Uh, our standard is seven. We have some in the upper sevens. We have some in the mid sixes. Um, but we're generally, uh, well, right now we've got some that are down in the thirties, you know, in, 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 right in the cost per mile for fuel. Um, we got a guy driving an 04 mid roof Columbia with a Mercedes Benz and he's like seven, eight, eight, eight miles to the gallon pulling a flatbed. Um, and so his fuel search, his fuel cost is in the high thirties, you know, and then I've got another truck. That's a bastard child that loves to eat fuel and its cost is in the 43 to 45 cent range, you know, but the fuel surcharge this week was 45, you know? So, you know, it all, it all works out. Um, I saw a comment. What did I see? Uh, too many people created a lifestyle with 2020 rates that they can't afford in a down market 100 um, yeah, well. because of our because of the podcast and because you know landstar will send people to us because somebody will call landstar and oh we're struggling we'll not make it landstar's like we'll call those guys they'll help you um and and we had a team husband and wife team call us and as soon as they get on the zoom call i could see they were in a w900 kenworth you know instantly and um and, and they were, they were hauling AA and E like the really, really high dollar freight. And they're telling us all about it. And their truck payment was $4,327 a month. And their insurance was like nine fifty. And we're trying to get through to them to understand that this truck is a huge, huge, huge problem for them. I'm like, yeah, y'all are on good freight and you should be making a lot of money and you're not. There's a whole other set of issues that they had, but we couldn't get them to understand the decision to buy this truck. They had a paid for truck that they traded in to get this damn W 900. And it's lady just kept coming back. Well, you know, Larry, we, we just need you to recommend a good CPA. I said, lady, you need a bankruptcy attorney. It's what you need, you know, and that pissed her off and that pretty much ended the call. Um, but your decisions, it, you, I promise you that at some point in my life, I learned to just walk back a few steps. Okay, is there anything that I could have done different to have me not be in this situation that I'm in right now? And generally, if I walk back four or five steps, I can go, oh, see, there it is. If I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be here today. But most people are absolutely incapable of looking in the mirror and going, Hey buddy, this is your fault. You did mm -hmm. this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if you can ever get there, it's a pretty freeing place to be, but boy, it's scary to walk into that mirror and look at the real problem, you know? Yeah. Self-awareness is something that uh, Gary V talks about a lot, but yeah, it's, if you can be self-aware enough to know whether or not you should be a company driver or you should be an owner operator or work yeah. for another carrier like yourself, like that for you guys is huge. Yeah. Well, I see. I don't see many more comments. Um, any, anything else you, Oh, you're going to be, are you going to come to the Louisville truck show? Uh, probably not. I've been out there before. When is it? March 21st and 22nd, I think. 
Maybe we'll We're see. Gonna be out there. You That's my new TikTok fame. Maybe I should. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, well, we're, we're going to be at, uh, we're staying at Caesars, uh, Southern Indiana. Uh, and I think Thursday night, we're going to have a, a little open get together at the casino. You're buying your own drinks, people. Just everybody remember that. Uh, but we'll be hanging out at the casino on Thursday night, which is the, uh, 21st. So on the 21st of March, we should be at the casino, uh, y'all come on and, and hang out with us and, and, uh, we'll drink some drinks and tell some lies. Um, and then, you know, we'll be one day we'll be with Pittsburgh power and one day we'll be with Landstar. So you guys can come by and see us. Uh, oh, you know what? I, I do have one thing I have to do that I almost forgot to do. And I need to thank our sponsor because sometimes it's, it's important to talk to the people that are paying the bills. Speaking of Pittsburgh Power, we are stocking distributors of the Max Mileage Fuel Barn Catalyst and the OPS Oil Purification System. You can go watch episode 108. We can explain the oil purification system. We can do installs now here in Charleston at CAMS Service Center. So if you want to come by and get your OPS installed, uh, we're working on, you know, maybe trying to get Fleet Air Filter and some of the other guys. We'd love to get an MD Alignment franchise so that we can do all that stuff in-house. Uh, but go to the website, blueribbonlogistics.com. You can order your max mileage there and we'll ship it out to you, or you can swing by Charleston and pick it up at the shop. Um, and, uh, but, but we, you know, we've been doing business with Pittsburgh power since 2009. They've been sponsoring the podcast for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, so if you talk to Pittsburgh power, please let them know that you heard about them on the blue ribbon podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, so go by there cause they've, you know, if you've got a problem, they can fix it. Uh, they got electrical engineers on staff. Uh, Bruce Mallinson has been the guy for probably 50 years when it comes to getting diesel trucks worked on. So, again, thanks, Pittsburgh Power, for sponsoring the podcast. And y'all talk to them and uh, go on the website and buy your stuff. So anything um, anything else you want to you wanna get out off your chest while you're – I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a joy to hear about your side of it, to be honest with you, because I've learned some things that I didn't know about. And hopefully your audience learned a little bit about brokers and maybe won't hate us so much anymore. But um, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath. It's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath on that one. No, I'm uh, not going to hold my breath. They'll, they'll be sure to find pieces of this podcast and take completely out of context. So uh, that's Most likely. Stuff. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, well, man, again, I appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, everybody stay safe out there yeah. and try to stay warm this weekend. Hopefully the Chiefs will bring home some playoff win. And Yeah, there was that. a bunch of smack talk in the early comments, you know, from a bunch of uh, Bills fans and yeah. Dolphins fans. So, yeah. I don't follow I'm the sure. NFL as closely as I do college, so I'm kind of out, uh, out of the loop on the NFL, but uh, – well, you live in, in Charleston, right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have so it. So you don't have a team. <laughs> no, we, bar- we barely have a college team. So um, anyway. Charleston, South Carolina, right? West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where West Virginia University is at? Morgantown, about two and a half hours north where Morgantown okay. WVU is. Gotcha. We've got and Marshall KU University. KU uh, Marshall's in Huntington. It was famous for that We Are Marshall movie that was out a few years ago. Yeah. Randy Moss played there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, again, I appreciate it. I, again, I'll have to 
catch up with you maybe in Kentucky. I would like to do that maybe. Yeah, be good, man. I appreciate you coming right. on, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right, appreciate it. All righty, y'all. Well, uh, hopefully Larry will be back with us in a week or so. He's he's had a rough week, but he's doing well. Uh, he's back about ninety five percent, and we'll uh, we'll bring y'all up to speed on that uh, later. But he's good, so don't don't worry about him. He just you know had to spend a day or so in the hospital, and and hell, I damn near did. I thought I was going to cough myself into a coma the the other day. So. Uh, we will be back with you, uh, next Friday night, which is the 19th, uh, same channel, same time. Um, again, go to the website, blueribbonlogistics.com. Check out a link in bio. If you're watching us on Twitter, I'm t- well, Twitter and, um, uh, TikTok. And with that, I'm going to shut her down. We will see y'all next week. Everybody be good and be 